Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Yea, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. In this world to which C.S. Lewis often referred as the Shadowlands, we live and we walk daily in our lives in a place called the Valley of the Shadow of Death. The world all around us, that is, those who are outside of the saving arc of the Christian church, that world lives in complete darkness. The world knows no other truth than that which each man or woman decides for himself or herself. St. Paul says that the gospel has been veiled, unveiled rather, to the unbelieving people of the world. He writes in 2 Corinthians this, the God of this world, and that's a, a lowercase g for a false god, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That's because the people of this world are blinded, dominated by their sinful, their human nature. A nature which makes them see themselves and their possessions as their God. They become so blind, and in fact, that St. Paul wrote in our epistle lesson for today, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. The very nature which resulted from Adam and Eve's fall into sin in the garden can still control us in the very same way in our day. As Solomon said, there is nothing new under the sun. We are also afflicted with the exact same propensity to do the things opposite of that which we know we should do and instead do the very things that we hate. However, in the midst of this shadow of death, the Lord remains faithful. To his people who are all, all that often too faithless, the Lord of all heaven and earth promises to us with absolute certainty that he will remain faithful. Behold, I am with you always, even to the very close of the age. We do fall short in this life on account of our sin. Fathers too often neglect their duty to be the head of the household in teaching their families about the Word of God. Mothers fail also in teaching the faith to their sons and daughters. And many children grow up either without the true Word of God or they reject it in their rebellion against family and God. And in generation after generation, there is decay. From such people, the Word of God has disappeared like a sputtering flame as it slowly runs out of fuel. It eventually dims to nothing or to very little over time. This is an accurate description of the people of the lands of Zebulun and Naphtali. The prophet Isaiah describes this people first as the people living in darkness, and then again as those living in the land of the shadow of death. These lands of darkness had seen their faith in God diminish and decline and in some cases disappear over time. 
You see, these lands of Zebulon and Naphtali were on the northern fringes, the edges of Israel. And therefore, they were the most open and susceptible to outside pagan influences. Also, these people were the first to be carted off in the, in the early dispersions when Israel was destroyed by the Assyrians in 722 B.C. By the time of Jesus' arrival there, these lands were no longer the pure-blood descendants of Jacob's sons, Zebulun and Naphtali. They were a blended mix of Jew and Gentile, peoples of many regions and many different cultures and origins. So that is the context we have as our Gospel lesson from Matthew gets underway today. The table has been set and now Jesus prepares to carry out His ministry on earth. His cousin, John the Baptist, has, has just been imprisoned. And John has been part of the fulfillment of that prophecy of which he spoke himself. It is necessary that he must increase and I must decrease. John has indeed decreased decreased into the dungeons of Herod's prison and disappeared from the spotlight so that Jesus can rightfully take His place at center stage. To fulfill the prophecy of the Old Testament from Isaiah, Jesus Christ begins His ministry, His preaching, in Capernaum, a city of the lands of Zebulun and Naphtali. Recall, however, that these lands were those described and referred to as the people living in darkness. They are on those outfringes of the kingdom, far, far away from the religious and cultural and commercial and governmental center of Jerusalem. By today's standards, it would be as if Christ was placing himself in the hinterlands of North Dakota instead of a more prominent population center like New York or Los Angeles or perhaps Washington, D.C. To the conventional wisdom of this world, Starting your ministry in a place like Capernaum of Galilee was foolishness. It makes no sense. We might even ask ourselves, well, if Jesus wanted to reach the most people, shouldn't he have gone to where the most people could be found? It certainly sounds like good logic, doesn't it? But that is our earthly, our human wisdom at work. Listen to how St. Paul would answer that question as he does a little later on in 1 Corinthians than our epistle lesson for today. But God shows what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God shows what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God shows what is low and despised in the world so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Worldly wisdom sees God's wisdom as foolishness even though the exact opposite is true. God's wisdom seeks not to fulfill the pleasures of this world or to seek success by worldly measures or worldly standards. God's wisdom fulfills what is right and proper. God's wisdom is Holy Scripture given to us for our very salvation. Capernaum was the starting point for Jesus' ministry because our God is a God who works from the bottom up, not from the top down. Jesus Himself says, so the last will be first, and the first last. Jesus brings life and light to the peoples. 
He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Sounds a lot like God's promise to and through David in Psalm 23, as I read at the very beginning, doesn't it? We need not fear darkness, because Jesus Christ is the light which pierces all darkness. He drives it away. He is the one who turns all darkness into nothing. And yet, such a promise Christ makes is still denied by his very own sons and daughters. The light that is so very badly needed by us too often becomes the light that is not wanted. As silly fools sitting in the darkness, we too often become so self-absorbed that we decide we like things the way they are. Our fallen nature often doesn't care for the hassle of hearing more about this light that saves us, the one thing that grasps us and pulls us out of the darkness. Imagine for a moment. You're sleeping in your bed during the darkest part of a cloudy, moonless, lightless night. Someone suddenly rushes in on your quiet slumber and shines a bright flashlight in your eyes and shakes you, tells you to wake up, rise up, allow the light to lead you out of your darkened room. What do you think your reaction would be? Now, I, for one, can often be a very heavy, deep sleeper. And I can imagine the discomfort and the annoyance that I might experience when this bright light would hit my eyes. I can picture the even stronger desire to bury my head under the pillow or pull the covers up over my eyes to escape the light. None of us would probably like the sudden disruptive feeling of having that bright light shone in our eyes and breaking into our peaceful, quiet slumber. But suppose that there's another detail yet to be revealed in this little story. This brave person who shines a flashlight into your eyes to wake you up is a firefighter. And he's yelling at you to get up and to get out, for your house is on fire. Deadly smoke is filling your room, and dangerous flames are closing in. And you have but a moment to get to safety. Suddenly that bright light doesn't seem so bad anymore, does it? In the smoking and searing and scorching darkness, it becomes your only means to show you the path to safety and to rescue. When Jesus Christ came into this world of spiritual darkness, he wasn't here to save people from being burned in a house fire. He came to rescue his people from being burned in the eternal fires of hell. He came to rescue us from the ultimate darkness. For that's exactly what darkness is, isn't it? The absence of light so then also, hell quite simply can be described as the total absence of God. Just as light is that which leads us into safety through the darkness as the light of the fireman's flashlight leads you from a burning home, so also Jesus is the light of the world who wakens us from a slumber, a slumber of the darkness of sin in our world. He leads us to safety, the safety of His light, His light of life himself. The true light, the light which enlightens everyone who came into this world, who was in the world, who created this very world, and yet that world did not know him, as St. John wrote.
In fact, Jesus' very own people did not know Him. Not in the way that they should have, being given centuries upon centuries of prophecies and promises about Him. And so He was unjustly sentenced to die. A death for the transgressions of all mankind. He carried that cross to Golgotha for them and for you. There, possibly the most frightening experience of darkness of all time took place. Matthew writes that during the time that Jesus was on the cross from the sixth hour, there was darkness over the whole earth till the ninth hour. Now this was from noon to 3 p.m. by the way we judge time. And so it was midday. The sun would have been almost directly overhead. And yet there was darkness covering the land. Yet when Jesus finally gives up His Spirit and utters those famous and critical words, it is finished, the whole earth shook. Rocks were split. And the thick and gigantic curtain of the temple that was designed to keep people from entering the most holy place was split in two. In this event, the barrier between man and Yahweh was torn apart. And not just there physically in the temple. Indeed, the greatest barrier, sin itself, was crushed like the head of the serpent that had brought it. The darkness that arose during the time of Jesus' crucifixion is an image of what our lives would be like without Him. Apart from Him, we are swallowed whole by the darkness, a terrible darkness that covers everything. The earth shakes, and yet we are asleep in peaceful darkness, like a, a person asleep in a house on fire, comfortable and ignorant in our beds, not knowing of the impending danger. Yet our lives as God's baptized children move us past the sorrow of Good Friday and sustain us in the joy and the victory celebration of Easter. Jesus' death in darkness on the cross was not a loss for us. It was actually the very moment of victory. Our salvation was won in darkness by the man of light, the light who destroyed all darkness for us. To those living in darkness in the lands of Zebulun and Naphtali, Jesus' arrival signified a new dawn. Matthew echoes Isaiah's words and says that they had seen a great light. Upon them a light had dawned. The imagery there is that of a rising sun at the break of a new day. To the people in Capernaum, Jesus overcomes their darkness with the light that is Himself. He brings hope where there was no hope. He brings a message of repentance, a message of salvation. In fact, the very first words of Jesus' ministry echo the words of John the Baptist who had come before Him. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has drawn near. As we live our lives in the repentance and forgiveness of Jesus, the forgiveness He works in us, then we see that we become beacons of that light ourselves. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says to His disciples and to His church, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. The church today yet stands in bitter contrast against the world, just as a light stands out in the darkness. If the church is truly to be the church, 
if it is to fulfill its purpose of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, then it will not be hidden. It will shine forth before the world like a glorious city on a hill. The church will be the beacon of Jesus Christ to the world through the very gospel of Jesus Christ. Just as the star of light led the Magi to Jesus in his infancy, the church is the light of the world is here to lead people to Jesus Christ in His full power and His full glory. Here at St. Paul, we are blessed to have the light of Jesus Christ not only revealed to us, but regularly to be placed in us and upon us in word and sacrament. We have not yet been fully brought out of the world, but we are uniquely separated from the world by the Holy Spirit's call. Call to give and to receive that faith that forgives and saves. We are called and gathered together as a parish family. We are enlightened by Christ, the light, the Word made flesh. And we are also sanctified by the Holy Spirit to lead God-pleasing lives, including making the sacrifices that allow that Word of God to be spread by Christ's fishers of men here and throughout the world of darkness kept in true faith. Let us be part of the great joy of spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ to the nations so that the greatest disease, the worst affliction, the heaviest oppression, those of sin, death, and the power of the prince of darkness may be healed, relieved, lifted. Let us share this joy of the light to the world so that all of the darkness around us may be pierced by the, that is the light of Christ crucified, the word of the cross being the power of God to all whom he would save. In his holy name, amen. Amen.